Thank you, Pastor Self, and also Marisa. Turn your Bibles again, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 14. The scripture we read together with Pastor Rick. Luke 14, please. Luke 14. The last several weeks, we've been focusing on life-changing biblical principles. This is number nine of that series of messages. And today, we're going to look at the biblical principle of discipleship. The principle of discipleship. We're going to look at what it means to be a disciple, but also let me ask you a question. As a believer, would you consider yourself a disciple? And we're going to look at that today, what it means to be a disciple. Before we get into the scripture text, this one of Luke 14, the three things every believer needs to understand concerning discipleship. First of all, the divine directive, the divine directive. Many refer to it as the Great Commission. The Great Commission, and the Great Commission is to make disciples. The scripture for that, many of you know, is in Matthew 28, 19. I believe it would be on the screen there. And this 19 has the word teach, and verse 20 has the word teach. There's two kinds of teaching here. In verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. That teaching there is to evangelize. Basically, as a body of Christ, we're commanded by our Savior to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that first teacher is to win them to Christ. And those who trust Christ should have baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But verse 20, there's the word teaching again. This word refers to disciple them. In verse 20, teaching them, those that trust Christ, those that are baptized, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So this is the divine directive. This is what we call the Great Commission. A verse is brought up so much during the missions month. That's, we need to understand that. The next, uh, the biblical definition. What does it mean? What does the word disciple mean? The definition of a disciple is a student, a learner, a follower. A person that is a disciple is a student of God's word, a learner of the Lord Jesus, and one who follows Christ with his life. And, and most of the time, we're going to refer to discipleship as one following Christ. So the divine directive, God's given to us a church to make disciples of all men. Win them to Christ, then train them to serve the Lord. The biblical definition is a student, a learner, a follower. But now, let's look at an important difference. This is so crucial to understand. An important difference. The difference between salvation and discipleship. They are not the same. The two distinct separate decisions between salvation and discipleship. If you would please keep your finger in Luke coming back to that. Go with me now to Matthew 11, please. Matthew 11. We'll see a verse, a call to salvation. Then we're going to see a call to being a disciple. Luke 11. I'm sorry, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, two books before Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew 11, look in verse 28, please. The first verse, 28, is a call to salvation. And it begins with the word come. Christ is inviting people to come to him for salvation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
He's talking about those that are laboring, those that are heavy laden or burdened. Basically, many people refer to the law. He's speaking to the Jews here. They were burned down by the, the, the demands of the law, and many of them thought the law would save them. He says, come unto me, all yet labor. Those of you that are working and trying to keep the law to go to heaven, come to me, and I will give you rest. Those of you that are heavy burdened, the law is a heavy burden upon people if they try to keep it for salvation. But also can refer to someone, the burden of sin. The lost person's life is burdened down by sin. So whether it be the sin or the law itself, he says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. The uh, uh, invitation for salvation. But verse 29 is invitation for discipleship. Then he says, those who come, he says, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn. Be a student. Be a follower. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word yoke here means to join, to couple yourself together with my uh, objectives in life. And so here is a clear distinction between the two. And it's so important for you and I to do the same. An important difference between salvation and discipleship. Let me give you some quotes from great Bible teachers on this difference. Please listen. This is a man by the name of Dwight Pentecost. He said this, Discipleship is frequently equated with salvation and often erroneously made a condition for becoming a Christian. Everett Harrison said this, Certainly, discipleship is the most important aspect of our relation to Christ, but it belongs to the sphere of the Christian life rather than entrance upon that life. One does not become a disciple in order to become a Christian, but because he has become a Christian by faith in the Savior, it is fitting that he embark upon a life of discipleship. Another one, Zane Hodges, said this, Eternal life is free. Discipleship is immeasurably hard. The former is attained by faith alone. The latter is by faith that works. The former brings with it the righteousness of God. The latter develops personal righteousness based upon good deeds. The former salvation cost man nothing. The latter discipleship could cost him everything, including life itself. And the last one by a man by the name of M.R. Dahan. He said this. There's a vast difference between coming to Jesus for salvation and coming after Jesus for service. Coming to Christ makes one a believer, while coming after Christ makes one a disciple. Not all believers are disciples. To become a believer, one accepts the invitation of the gospel. To become a disciple, one obeys the challenge to a life of dedicated service and separation. Salvation comes through the sacrifice of Christ. Discipleship comes by only by the sacrifice of self and surrender to his call to devoted service. Salvation is free, but discipleship involves paying a price of a separated walk. Salvation cannot be lost because it depends upon God's faithfulness, but discipleship can be lost because it depends upon our faithfulness. So important to make a distinction between those two. In fact, salvation is a gift. It's God's gift to us because Jesus died for us on the cross. Discipleship is our gift to Christ to follow him and live our lives for him once we're saved. So now, Let's look at this principle of discipleship. I want to look at three things this morning. Hope you'll take out your notes and fill in these blanks. <clears throat> We're going to look at the requirements, 
the cost and the rewards of following Christ. I refer to discipleship as following Christ. That's the definition. The requirements for following Christ, the cost of following Christ, and the rewards of following Christ. Let's begin, first of all, the requirements. Many of you, I asked a lot ago, how many of you think you're a disciple? Let's find out. Let's find out what God requires of each. It's going to be three of them, three requirements. And after he states them, each time he said, if you don't do these, you cannot be my disciple. So these are not recommendations. They're not suggestions. These are requirements. Let's look at them. The first one, the first requirement. In fact, look in verse 25, and chapter 14 of Luke. Luke 14, are you back there? Luke 14, 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and turn, he turned and said unto them. And notice, if you don't mind, three times he says, you cannot be my disciple. First of all, the first requirement is to love God above everyone else. To love God above everyone else. Look in verse 26, please. <clears throat> he said, if a man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife, children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. That's what it says. He cannot be my disciple. The first time this verse was brought to my attention, I was a fairly new person as far as I was a believer for many years, but never grew in my faith. And at that time, I dedicated my life to serve the Lord, and I was not familiar with this verse. And I was passing out tracts. In fact, I was at a gas station. How many remember they go to gas station? Someone come out and fill your tank for you. Remember those times? Back in the 70s. I was put up at a gas station, waited there. A man come out and said, yes, sir, can I help you? I said, fill it up, please. And he filled my gas tank up, and he told me how much it was. So I gave him some money, and I gave him a gospel track. Am I going to heaven on the front of it? And he looked at it, and he said, hey, by the way, do you realize you've got to hate your mom, your dad, your brother and sister if you want to go to heaven? I said, what? <laughs> and he said, look at this verse. And he thought this verse was talking about salvation. And I, I kind of befuddled. I had no idea, so I went looked it up. But this verse is not talking about salvation. It's talking about discipleship. It's talking about following Christ. And notice what it's saying here. The word hate is a comparative term. It literally means to love less. Jesus was calling his disciples to have such a devotion to him that their affection for everything or anyone else including their own lives, would seem like hatred in comparison. How about you? Do you love the Lord that much? This is the fulfillment of the great commandment. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, 36, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. In other words, you should love the Lord so much that your love for anyone else should seem like hate, comparatively speaking. I don't know about you. I'm not certain I can answer that. I love my wife a lot. I love my kids a lot. And to think that my love for them, my love for the Lord is so great that my love for them is like hate, comparative. I don't know if I can answer that. But the principle is this. God needs to be number one. That's the principle. Everybody else is on the back burner. God's on the front burner. That's what he's teaching here. And he loved him above everyone else. That's a requirement. Now, please listen. Let's compare that to salvation. Does God require the unsaved man to love him to go to heaven? No. 
unregenerate man only loves one person himself. The Bible said, here it is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The salvation message is how much God loves you. But now as a disciple, a follower, the issue is how much do you love God? Do you love him enough to honor him and live for him? So the first requirement to be a disciple is to love him above everyone else. If you don't do that, you cannot be his disciple. Next, the second requirement is to bear a cross. To bear a cross. Look in verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, there's that phrase again, you cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear a cross? Now today, people refer to it as burdens in life. That's my cross I have to bear. To refer to a problem we have in life, a situation in life, that's the cross I bear. Now, I'm not trying to undermine, undermine burdens. Burdens can be very heavy, can they not? But that's, that's not what he's talking about. It's not what it means today, but what did it mean in Christ's day? When you use the word bear the cross, what does that mean? Basically, as a person that just been sentenced to death by the Roman government, going to be crucified. Once they were sentenced to death, Rome required them to bear a cross to the very place they're going to be crucified. Jesus bore a cross, remember that? But he was beaten so bad he could not carry it and had someone to carry it for him. But to bear a cross, the cross was an instrument of death. It speaks of sacrifice and death. For you and I to bear a cross, it speaks of sacrifice, death, death to self, dying to self. You know who it is that gives us the most of the problem in our Christian life? Go look in the mirror. It's you. It's me. Nobody gives me more problems than I give myself. My old flesh raises ugly head every day and wants to control my life. But for me to live for Christ, to be a follower, I need to die to self. In fact, Luke said, from Luke said in 9.23, he said to bear the cross daily. Every day I need to roll out of bed and die to David Peterson. David Peterson wants to run his own life. Yet, if I want to be a follower of Christ, I need to die to self, to bear a cross. That's what that means. Now, compare that to salvation. Salvation is obtained through the cross that Christ bore for us. He bore a cross to Calvary, and through his sacrifice there, I can be saved. But now that I am saved through the cross he bore for me, I should bear a cross for him. I should die to self. That is the requirement for discipleship. Now, how are you doing so far? Loving Christ above everybody else? Dying to self? Now he gives us a parable before we get to the third requirement. And basically, now Jesus gives a parable to teach there is a price to follow Christ. Look in verse 28, please. First of all, we must count the cost. To be a disciple, he says, count the cost. The parable talking about building a tower. Look at verse 28. For which of you attending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Thus happily after he hath laid the foundation, he hath not able to finish. All that behold it shall mock him, saying, This man began to build, not able to finish. So basically, if I'm going to become a disciple, he says, count the cost. There is a cause we're going to look at in a few moments. If I want to, as a believer, now I want to follow Christ in my life, I need to count the cost because there's a price to pay if I want to follow him as, um, 
uh, now, now that I'm saved. The next uh, thing, talking about counting the cost, it says we must be willing to sacrifice. This parable, he moves from building a tower to fighting a war. We must be willing to sacrifice. Look in verse 31. He says, or what, what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sinneth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Otherwise, he's willing to sacrifice victory. So in both of these cases, listen carefully, they're told, they said, he first sitteth down first. I stop and consider what is required of me. Now, please listen. I don't believe the Lord saying, you ought to sit down and count, count the call, see whether you're going to do it or not. I think the issue here is realize what's required of me that I may do it. That's the issue here. So often we think, well, I need to count the cost, and I, I'm not willing to pay that, so I'm not going to become a disciple. To realize all things done for you, the purpose here is for you to realize what's required of you, that I may do it. I want to please him. I want to know exactly what it is, so I'm going to sit down and consider this so I can fulfill what God expects of me to be a disciple. The first one, to love the Lord supremely, the second one, to die to self. And the third requirement is to forsake all. <clears throat> to forsake all. Look in verse 33, please. He wraps up this teaching on discipleship, on following Christ. He says, so likewise, verse 33, of, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot, there's that phrase again, cannot be my disciple. The word forsake means to renounce or disown. There are many times in life as a Christian, in order for you to serve the Lord, to make your life count for Christ, he may ask you to give up something. He may ask you to renounce or disown things in your life. If you're not willing to do that, you cannot be a disciple. Now, in contrast to salvation, please listen. The message of salvation, what Christ gave up for me, so I could be saved. But now that I am saved through what he sacrificed for me, now that I'm saved, the way I can show my love to him is by what I'm willing to renounce and give up for him. See the difference? It's so important to make a distinction between those two. So salvation is what he gave up for what he had renounced. Think about that. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ, prior to his incarnation, was in heaven itself enjoying the splendor, the wonder, the admiration, the worship of angels. He gave up all that and come down to be ostracized and criticized and cursed to men. When he gave up and renounced that you might be saved. But when you receive him as Savior, now, discipleship, what are you willing to give up for him? That's discipleship. What do you want to sacrifice that you might serve him? So the requirements, what were the requirements? Number one, to love the Lord above everybody else. Number two, what was the second one? Bear a cross. And the third one, forsake all. Those are what God required. God said, if you're not willing to do that, you cannot be my disciple. Number two, the cost. Pastor, what's going to cost me? If I want to serve the Lord, follow him as a disciple, what's going to cost me? Go to Matthew now, chapter 10. Matthew 10, please. Discipleship is mentioned throughout the Gospels. We saw Luke. Now we're going to Matthew chapter 10. Page 1355, Matthew 10. Here's the cost 
of following Christ. First one is what I'm going to call potential persecution. Persecution can be a cost, a price you have to be willing to pay to follow the Lord. In Matthew 10, the context, if you read the very first verse in Matthew 10, he's speaking to his 12 disciples. So this is a requirements or the cost of discipleship. Persecution, look in verse 16, Matthew 10, verse 16. Here he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Verse 17. But beware of men, for they, uh, they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in the synagogues. You shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake for testimony against them and the Gentiles. Verse 21, for the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father and the children. The children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Wow. So he's talking about potential persecution. Now, because we live in America, we don't see much of that, but we see it coming, do we not? We realize there's so much our government now those in leadership are making against those who believe in Christ, those who have faith in Christ. And we see persecution coming. And I believe it's a matter of time we might be even considered going to jail because of our faith. But there are many cultures. Think of over in Afghanistan. Well, Al-Qaeda is, t- Al-Qaeda is taking over and they kill Christians. They seek them out and put them to death for their faith in Christ. And so there is possible persecution. But he goes on to say, notice the admonishment here given to them the uh, uh, persecution. And verse 26, he says, fear them not. Verse 31, fear ye not. Then he makes an interesting point here. Verse 32, he said, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. Wow. Now listen carefully. This is not salvation. So often you hear evangelists use this to get people to walk with your child. This is not salvation, people. This is discipleship. And for those of you that want to serve the Lord, if you publicly acknowledge Christ before others, what did he say he'll do for you? He'll acknowledge you in heaven. Wow. So basically, as a child of God, if I decide to serve the Lord, become a disciple, though it may cost me persecution, if I will publicly acknowledge him before others, he'll acknowledge me before the Father in heaven. But read the next verse. But, verse 33, but whoso shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. The denying here is of rewards and recognition for following Christ, not salvation. He's talking about those who are already saved. So basically, there's a cost, a price to serve the Lord, and basically the cost is persecution. The next here is rejection. How many like to be rejected? Oh my goodness, there's possible rejection. Look in verse 34 both of family and friends, for those who acknowledge Christ before others. Verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. For a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Wow. Again, different cultures. You think of an Orthodox Jewish family. If someone in that family will acknowledge Christ as Messiah, they're rejected. They're kicked out, disowned. 
because of that. So what he's saying here, Christian, you want to be a follower of Christ, it may cost you persecution, it may cost you rejection. Now, I'm so glad I, I was raised in a Christian family. When I trusted Christ, I was not rejected. I was encouraged. I was, uh, and everybody got excited about that. What a difference is. But in certain cultures, certain situations, those who want to profess Christ publicly, it could cost you dearly. It could cost you your life, cost you rejection. But notice, go on now, notice the price of not following Christ. The price of not following Christ. First of all, number one is unworthiness. Unworthiness. Look in verse 37, please. The same scripture text. Verse 37. He that loveth the father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth the son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and fall after me is not worthy of me. The word worthy means befitting or deserving. Basically what he's saying here, seeing how much Christ loves us and what he sacrificed for us is only befitting we should love and sacrifice for him. And not to do so makes one unworthy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What are saying here? So if I'm not willing to do these things, I'm not worthy to follow him and as, uh, now that I am saved. But also, the other price of not following Christ is the loss of the quality of life. The loss of the quality of life. Look in verse 39, please. Verse 39. Again, this is discipleship, not salvation. It said, he that findeth his life shall what? Lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. And if you would please, let go of Luke. Now go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. So that was Matthew 10. Go to Matthew 16 now. Again, he refers to the same idea here, but he used another word, not findeth. Matthew 16, verse 25. See if it sounds familiar. Matthew 16, 25. So if I do not follow Christ, I become unworthy to serve him, you know, follow him but also a loss of quality of life. Verse 25, look what it says here. Luke, Matthew 16, 25. For whosoever shall, will save his life, not find it, but save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Mark says, for the gospel's sake. Look at what he's saying. When a believer begins to see the requirements and realize also the cost, it's easy for us to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I do this, I'm going to miss out on the happiness of life. And so they try to save the life they have now, and you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Christ and live it for him, you'll find it. That's the condition. John 10, 10, Jesus Christ said, I am come that you might have life and have it more what? Every Christian has eternal life but not all has the abundant life. The abundant life comes by serving the Lord and following him in discipleship. You try to save the life you have because you don't want to do the things required of you, you'll lose it. Sometimes physically, sometimes the, the, uh, talking about the quality of life. But if you lose your life for Christ, my friend, the same shall find it. That's what he's saying there. Now, number three. Number three. We saw the requirements. 
We saw the cost. Number three, the rewards. The rewards of following Christ. Are you still in Matthew 16? Matthew 16. Look at verse 27. Here are the rewards of following Christ. The context here is discipleship. Of following the Lord. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then he shall what? Reward every man according to his works. In other words, this life of discipleship is a life of works. When Christ returns and establishes a kingdom, my friend, he's going to reward you for, your, for following him and your discipleship. Here's the question. What are the rewards? If I decide as a believer to follow Christ, what will God give me? I'm glad you asked. If you're asking today, what's in it for me? My friend, you're good company. Peter asked the same question. Go now to Matthew 19, please. Matthew 19. I I love old Peter. He asked questions that you and I wouldn't dare to ask because we're embarrassed. (laughs) What's in it for me? (laughs) That's exactly what he wanted to know. Matthew 19, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? <laughs> I've done that. I've followed you. I've forsaken everything. What's in it for me? Read the next verse. First of all, the rewards is reigning with him in his kingdom. Reigning with Christ. Verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration which the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And basically, the regeneration talks about the millennial reign of Christ. Here he's speaking specifically to the apostles that were disciples. If you, by doing what you're doing, you're going to sit upon the 12 thrones in the kingdom. But that same promise is to all of us. Maybe when I have that one of the 12 thrones, we will reign with Christ in his kingdom. If you follow him as a disciple... And look with me, I read the verse on the screen, Revelation 3.21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my father in his throne. 2 Timothy 2.11. It is a faithful saying, if we suffer, as we live for Christ, if we suffer, we shall also what? Reign with him. So one of the rewards of following Christ as a disciple that in the millennial kingdom of Christ, when he rules and reigns on earth, you'll get to reign and rule with him, a position of authority in his kingdom. The second reward, I love this one, verse 29, you're receiving a hundredfold in return. Receiving a hundredfold in return. We read verse 27, 28, and now look in verse 29. He said, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother, or wife or children on lands. That's the requirement, remember. If you've done that, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. The word hundredfold means you're going to receive a hundred times as much. All who forsake their homes and relatives to serve the Lord will receive blessings that will they'll more than compensate for the losses. In addition to all that, you got eternal life. <laughs> That's what he's saying there. You know, when I read this verse, I think of missionaries. Missionaries who many times leave their homes in America 
and go to a third world country and have very little. They sell the home, they quit their job, sell all the possessions, and go and have very little to win people to Christ. My friend, that's discipleship. And though they give up so much, the Lord says, I'll bless you a hundredfold for what you've given up for me. What a blessing. Now, let's wrap it up. Look at me, please. The requirements. We solve that. What are the requirements? To love the Lord above everyone else, to bear a cross, and forsake all. We saw the cost. What's the cost? Potential persecution and possible rejection. And the rewards. The rewards are reigning with Christ in his kingdom. And we rewarded a hundred times as much what you sacrifice to do that for the Lord. But I want to conclude with this. Remember at the beginning we talked about three things every Christian understands. The divine directive, the definition of discipleship, and the important difference. I'd like to include that important difference. What was the difference? Difference between salvation and discipleship. Difference between what a person has to do to be saved and difference between what a person is saved has to do to serve the Lord. Remember this. Salvation comes from believing and receiving Christ the Savior. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 1, 12. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What are you saying? Look at me, please. Salvation comes when a lost sinner puts his trust in Christ the Savior. He believes in Christ. He has eternal life. When he receives Christ, he becomes a child of God. That's the message of salvation. But those who are saved, now we go to the second part. The message there is this. There's a decision now to serve the Lord and allow him to be a Lord and master of your life. Allow him to call the shots, to love him supremely, to bear a cross and forsake all. And John 12, 26, look at it on the screen, please. He said, if any man serve me, let him what? There's discipleship. You want to serve the Lord? Follow Christ. And he goes on to say, where I am, there shall also my servant be. I love this last part. If any man serve me, or I can say a man follow me, him will my father what? Honor. The Lord will honor you for the sacrifice and what you give up to serve the Lord. So close your Bibles, please. I'd like to extend a two-fold invitation this morning. The first one is for those who never have to receive Christ, to trust him as your Savior. Now, if I remember, salvation costs you nothing. There's no work required of you to be saved because Jesus paid the price. He finished the work. The last thing he said on the cross, what? It is finished. It was paid in full. The work is done. And we, by faith, receive him as our Savior. That brings eternal life. That makes you a child of God. Heaven's your home because of that decision. So if you never trusted Christ, why not do that today? If you have, have you ever thought about being a disciple? You ever made a decision to follow Christ? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. This is all an act of love for the Savior who bought you with his own blood. And now I decide to serve him. We saw the requirements. We saw the costs. My friend, there's great rewards. That's a decision that a believer needs to make.
Have you done that before? If not, why not do that today? My friend, God will honor you. He'll recognize you in great ways and give you a hundredfold if you make that decision. And if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall what? Find it. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. This morning I've been speaking primarily to the Christian, to those of you that know Christ. We talked about this wonderful principle of discipleship. Talking about what it is required, what it may cost, and what the rewards are of this decision every believer needs to make. If you're here today and you have trusted Christ, heaven's your home, you have eternal life, you're forgiven. Have you ever made the decision to follow Christ? Have you ever made the decision now that you're saved to serve him and live a life that's pleasing to him? If not, why not do that today? The greatest thank you letter you can give to the God who saved you is now return to him and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to honor you with my life. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Right where you're sitting, talk to the one who saved you. And now tell him that you want to follow him. You want to live for him. You want to serve him. Why don't take a moment to do that? And the quiet is your mind. First of all, thank him for your salvation. And then say, because you've saved me, I want to honor you and please you and lift you. Why not do that right now if you have never done that before? As heads are bowed and eyes still closed, maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior. You never trusted him as the one who died for you to take you to heaven. My friend, why not do that right now? That decision comes first. That's a decision based upon what he has done for you. If you never received Christ, if you're not certain you have a home in heaven, you're not certain you've been forgiven of your sins, why not right now talk to God in your own thoughts and trust Christ to be your Savior? Maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I have earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment, the punishment I deserve, he took upon himself. And he suffered and he bled and died for my sin. He was buried and I believe he rose again. And right here this morning, realizing I cannot save myself, I am trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if that made sense to you and you trusted Christ as your Savior today, I'd like to know that. I really get excited when I see someone else understand the great news of the gospel and put their trust in Christ as Savior. If you did that today for the first time, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, right where you're sitting, if you just simply raise your hand so I can pray for you, you know what all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trust Christ. Would you pray for me? You know what all this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes still closed. How many say, Pastor, I'm a Christian? I know that. There's no doubt. But I've never been challenged to this life of discipleship. But realizing all that Jesus done for me, the sacrifice he made for me, I want to sacrifice and live for him. If that's your decision for the first time, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? 
Anyone all this morning? God bless you and you and you. How many say, Pastor, I've done that before, but I've got away from it. And now I've been living for self, but I need to get back to living for the Lord and follow him on life. Would you pray for me? Yes, so many here. Oh, my, so many. God bless you. God bless you. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scores of people here today, either by the hand of, for the first time, dedicating their life to follow you, or Lord, those have already done that but got away from it and now returning to you to follow you and Lord, live through the life of you. Father, I ask you to give them the strength, the blessing, and the uh, grace to do that which they've determined to do today, to be literally followers of you in every day of their life. In Christ's name they pray, amen.